0: Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio.
1: You're listening to Bill Arnold's Encore presentation, Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a Special Repeat Performance.
0: And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. Bill Arnold here. I'm awfully uh, glad that we have this time together. I was reading Psalms, and in Psalms chapter 55, it said, Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. I would like to add evening, morning, noon, and mid-afternoon. When my show starts, I cry out in distress, (laughs) and he hears my voice. I don't know what I'd do without him, because I wouldn't be behind this microphone if I was not uh, here serving the Lord. So thank you for listening, and I hope that you... Get all kinds of uh, great teaching and 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 leading from the Holy Spirit in your life that comes through Faith Radio because it is a great place to come and learn. All right, we have a great show. Uh, Holly Melton's going to be joining us. Uh, brace yourself for this story. That's all I'm going to tell you. You're <laughs> you're not going to believe what you're going to hear coming up. And then Sheila Heen is going to be joining me as well. And if you've had uh, tense conversations over the weekend, you know how your families get together and maybe groups of friends, and you find out that you're in difficult conversations, Sheila Heen is my go to person. She's outstanding. All right, let's take a little break, and then Holly Melton's up next.
1: is so much more than just radio. We are a multimedia ministry encouraging people to connect faith to life every day through a variety of platforms. Now, you may have been driving, captivated by a Faith Radio interview, but not able to listen to it all because you had an appointment. Or maybe you had an extra busy day and you missed your favorite show. Well, thankfully, you can go back and listen to any of our programs in their entirety at MyFaithRadio.com by clicking on podcasts. You can also download the free Faith Radio app to listen to any past programs or check out the live stream. Just search for Faith Radio in iTunes or Google Play. And for Alexa and Amazon Echo devices, just say Enable Faith Radio. Then say Play Faith Radio to listen to the live stream. Use your connected device to stay encouraged and equipped every day through Faith Radio. You're listening to Bill Arnold's Encore presentation.
0: Good day, sunshine. Good Welcome back to the show. It's eight minutes after the hour. Bill Arnold here with you. And I have on my studio line Holly Melton. She uh, is, works for Crew, which is Campus Crusade. And she has uh, had one of those experiences in evangel- evangelism to keep that train going from last hour. Uh, where you have those experiences that kind of forever change you. And uh, her her experience when she was a junior in college, pretty unusual. I'm going to ask her to share that with us. Uh, And she's with us today. Hello, Holly. Hi. So glad you could join me today. Thank you for taking time to do this.
2: Yeah, well, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, of course, you know, I was fascinated when I uh, read your uh, missions trip in 1998 to Ocean City, New Jersey. And when you were a junior in college, so uh, you had an experience that I would just uh, love for you to tell our listeners about.
2: Sure. Well, I love to tell the story because it's before I had 20 years of vocational ministry experience. Yeah. Um, And it was my very first mission trip, you know, and we were out worshiping on the boardwalk and this girl, very Gothic looking, came up to me. I don't know why she chose me. And she said, I'm a vampire. Are you afraid of me? And I just thought, who thinks they're a vampire? You know, this is before (laughs) Twilight and before Vampire Diaries. I'm like, who thinks that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so um, she goes, will you talk with a vampire? And I said, sure. So I sit down with her, and it's completely awkward, and she doesn't say anything. And so this is the first time I'm like, okay, God, what am I supposed to do here? She initiated with me. And so um, I asked Holy Spirit, like, give me wisdom in this conversation. And I felt like the thought that God gave me is learn about her why does she think she's a vampire? So I asked her, and she said, first of all, she said her name was Christy, and then Christy said, well, I have tried to kill myself three times, but I haven't been able to die, so I think I'm immortal, and I was like, oh boy, and then <clears throat> she goes, I've actually sacrificed animals and drank their blood, because mm-hmm. I believe that will what is atone, will atone for my sin, Oof. and I just thought, God, how do I bring up Jesus to her? She sounds so crazy, you know, and So again, I was like, Lord, how do I find a connection with her? And I said, well, what do you think brings you purpose or significance in life? And she said, I have brought 30 women into being vampires with me that had no family and no friends. And um, I was like, wow, okay, this is something we have in common. We both want to influence women and bring them into community. And again, I'm like, God, how do you bridge into the gospel with someone that, you know, thinks they're immortal and kills animals and, um, immediately, I felt like the Lord said, Affirm her partial truth. Now, I was raised in the apologetics era where you're supposed to defend your faith, you know, not affirm things that people are thinking wrong. So it felt really contrary, but I started to. And I said, Christy, I said, In a sense, you're right. We are immortal, there's life after death. And you're right, sacrifice is necessary, blood is essential. And you're right that we were made for community, but I don't think you know the whole story. Can I have permission to share with you what I think the whole story is?" And she said, yes. And it was in that moment I shared the glorious presentation of the Gospel I have never shared before about how Jesus is the Lamb of God, and He he was the final sacrifice. And um, not only can He take away our sins permanently, but we can have a personal relationship with Him, God the Father, and a deep relationship with one another. And I thought, oh, for sure, Chrissy's going to pray to receive Christ right there. But she didn't. And instead, she said, can you give me a ride home? Because the buses have stopped working. So it was already 2 in the morning. And I thought, who wants to give a vampire a ride home
3: (laughs) at 2 in the morning? (laughs) So
2: again, I pushed through the awkwardness. I do invite a guy to come with me and we start driving on this deserted highway. And what do you know, Christy starts knocking on the back window. I mean, I thought she was crazy. I thought she was on drugs. So I push through the awkwardness again and I say, Christy, why are you knocking on the window? And here's what she said though. She said, something is knocking at my heart, but I don't know what it is. And I just thought, okay, Lord, I don't know enough of the scripture yet. I didn't know the verses about how, um, how he hunger and thirst for us. But I knew Revelation 320, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And I said, I believe that's Jesus and he wants in your life. And so she goes, pull over on the side of the road. I want to accept Jesus in my life right now in case I die before I get home and i'm like you didn't even think you could die two hours ago you know (laughs) and so we are literally on a highway we didn't even get to a a off-road yeah we're on the highway i get in the back seat i'm pulling out like a pamphlet to explain the gospel she goes no no get to the end i want jesus in my life right now and i'm like okay so she prays, and honestly here i am you know it's my first summer mission i'm doubting it i'm like this girl is crazy she's probably on drugs so i said if this is real Christy. I want you to meet me tomorrow at noon because I thought, what vampire is going to be up in the middle of daylight to meet me? Right? Yeah, they sleep at night, the vampires. Yeah, they're awake at night. Yeah, awake at at night, sleep during the day.
0: Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: That's right. So um, at noon the next day, she starts walking up to me, and it's like that awkward distance. And she starts screaming my name, Holly, Holly. She goes, "I want to learn how to share my face like you shared with me," and I'm like. Even Christians don't want to learn how to share their faith. Maybe she's a real one, you know? And um, so I said, well, let's go out and let's meet somebody and let's, let's learn how to share our faith by practicing it. So we meet this 15 year old boy named Mark. He's a blonde surfer dude. Dude. So you have Gothic girl with her black lipstick. You got me and you got this blonde surfer dude. And he says, how do you know you're different when you become a Christian? And I was saved as a little girl. So I'm thinking in my mind, how do I answer this? And she interrupts me and she says, Mark, Yesterday I was a vampire. Today I'm a born-again Christian, and boy, do I see the difference. She goes, Mark, did you know we're immortal, that sacrifice is necessary, blood is essential, and we were made for community? And she shared the same gory presentation I shared the day before, and Mark prayed to receive Christ right there. And I thought, she is now a 10-hour-old believer, and she led him to the Lord. And I think, what excuse do we have to say we're not mature enough, we're not old enough in our faith, we don't know enough of the Bible, to say we can't share our faith? But Christy was able to do that 10 hours later, you know, and so that, that experience completely changed my life. I was going to be a lawyer. I was headed out to do law and I just thought all I want to do is learn how to share Jesus with others because I saw how it transformed her. And what she did, Bill, is she went back and started evangelizing with the 30 women in the coven of vampires until the head leader said, if you don't stop, I'm going to take your life. Um, and so she became an evangelist, and it was just a transforming story.
0: Oh my, Holly, that is riveting. And and I, I want to back up a little bit, and when you're uh, starting to talk to her, how do you know she didn't pick you out to try to evangelize to you to become a vampire?
1: Yeah, that's a great <laughs>
2: question. I don't know. I mean, maybe you I were mean, the target. She was, maybe. You know, she, she seemed a little crazy when she initiated with me, and she was silent, but... Um, that's true. I just, I was in the mind frame, God, how do I relate to someone so different than me? And God showed me all of us. He will show all of us how to relate to someone so drastically different than us. That was a big lesson I learned in that experience.
0: And now she's asking to get a ride home at two in the morning, and do you even have a turtleneck on?
2: Yeah. (laughs) I made her sit in the back seat, and I sat in the front. I at least did that. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) And you were smart enough to bring someone with you. And then Within yeah. a day, she is leading someone else to Christ in her... That's right. Oh, my goodness. It's fascinating. All right, Holly, I, I love what we've done so far. I do need to take a very short break. Uh, if there's a listener that wants to jump in on this, because this is uh, quite unusual, a great story, you can call 877-933-2484. And maybe you've had an experience like Holly's. All right, we'll take a short break and be back more with Holly Melton in just a minute.
1: listening to bill arnold's encore presentation faith hope and clarity in a special repeat performance
3: welcome
0: back to the show it's 18 minutes after the hour holly melton is my guest And from a very uh, humble experience as a junior in college doing evangelism, she caught fire. And you do now a bunch of training and, and coaching missions teams. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, one of my passions has been going and helping our teams all over the world. I don't know if um, listeners know this, but one of the most challenging things for missionaries to stay on the mission field is they have conflicts with one another. The enemy just wants to attack them and their teams. So I go into various countries and help teams over a matter of a few days, figure out how to really do biblical conflict resolution so that missionaries will stay on the field and not give up and come home. And so that's a lot of what my specialty has been overseas. And then locally, I help coach missionaries to help them think about how do you reach every people group on a college campus? Um, because every ethnicity has a different way we can share the gospel and reach out to them in an effective way. So mm-hmm. those are two ways I coach people.
0: So on on some of these uh, Christian missionary teams, there's people not getting along.
2: <laughs> yeah. We're is that, all is that sinners. what I'm hearing you say? doesn't saying? matter what our job is. <laughs> yep. Yeah. We're all still sinners. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I get that. All right. So, um, when you try to help others find their calling, what when they come to you, what, what, what kind of questions are they asking?
2: Yes. Well, most people are trying to figure out, what am I supposed to do with my life? How do I make an impact on my life? Um, and a lot of times their questions are are a little smaller, like, what should my major be? What should my career be? What state should I live in? And part of me helping people think about their calling is taking them into the Word and better understanding what God says His will for our life is. I think a lot of people, they say, I want to know God's will for my life, but they don't understand how God explains that in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so that's a lot of what I do is helping them understand biblically what God's will is for our lives.
0: Do you think God is as interested in showing you His will as much as He is just doing His will in your life?
2: Exactly, yes. He wants us to be a part of of His will, as well as Him working in us.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, so I think you're working on a, a 10-week devotional on God's will. I do want some of the highlights from that right now.
2: Yes, so I have studied every verse on God's will in the Bible to really... Be able to articulate to people what it is, and really, I've I've seen it ultimately as a threefold thing. God's will is He wants us to grow in our sanctification. You think about what it says in First Thessalonians four verse three three. The first it says very clearly, "For this is the will of God, your sanctification." And sanctification just means becoming more like Jesus. So, ultimately, when I talk to people, I say, "Okay, what?" decision is going to help you grow more in your character what's going to help you grow more in obedience to the lord that would be god's will for you and then the second area is it's very clear that god's will for us is to engage in the great commission um you think about what jesus said in john four thirty two about his food was to do the will of him the will of god who sent me to accomplish his work and he goes on and talks about how the harvest is plentiful um, and the workers are few. And one thing that's really stuck out to me in this study is I, we t- sometimes take that verse, oh, pray for workers of the harvest. And we think to send people globally as missionaries. But what I've come to see it as is we as believers, God is calling all of us to be sent ones. And that prayer is for us to realize how is God sending me where I currently live, where um, where who are my neighbors, who are my coworkers, who are the people I hang out with that we are all called to be sent ones, and that's how the Great Commission is going to be filled. And then finally, the third main area of God's will, is he says in Ephesians 5, 17, he says, therefore, don't be foolish. And I don't think any of us want to be foolish. And it says, understand what the will of the Lord is. And it says, don't get drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And so kind of the culmination of this is if we understand as followers of Jesus how to be empowered by the Holy Spirit— not only will we grow in our sanctification on this side of heaven and become more like Jesus, we're going to be empowered by the Spirit to have effective spiritual conversations with others as sent ones. So overall, God's will for us is to be filled with the Spirit so we could be effective sent ones and continue to grow in our character and sanctification. That's mm-hmm. kind of the thesis of God's will for us in the Bible.
0: I love it. Now, Holly, I get the feeling you've got some frequent flyer miles going in your in your account, right? Yes. So were you living in East Asia for a while?
2: I have, yes. Tell me about that. Yes. Um, It was a phenomenal experience because being an American, East Asians are very um, intrigued in wanting to learn English and the American life. And so it's um, a very fruitful place for Americans to go to engage others with the gospel. So it was a privilege to be there.
0: Um, What did you— what did you learn about uh, sharing your faith uh, in, a, in a culture like that that you could bring back to America with and, and be better equipped?
2: Um, I think one thing I learned is as I was reading the Bible there and being in a culture different than mine, we can always ask God to reveal to us how to share the gospel to the people around us in different cultures. Because obviously America has so many cultures around us. Mm-hmm. And so, when I was there, I was praying, and I was like, "God, how do I really reach out to this culture? Well, this is um, East Asia is more of a shame based culture and not a, not necessarily about sin, but about shame. And so God revealed to me this verse in the Bible that talks about how Jesus takes our shame on the cross. I had never seen that. I, that had never impacted me because I'm not from a shame-based culture. But as soon as I started sharing how Jesus takes away our shame, I saw more people transformed with the gospel. And so what was neat was me coming back here saying, all right, how do I observe and learn and even read the Bible differently about the gospel when I think about different cultures around me to have it be more powerful to the people around me? So that Mm -hmm. was a big takeaway.
0: I love it. You authored a book called Follow My Lead, Responding to God's Voice in Everyday Encounters. I love the title, just so you know. Um, and responding to God's voice in everyday encounters, what does that what is that like? How do, how do you experience that?
2: Yeah, so for me, I mean, having been trained in evangelism, I felt like there was a big component missing. That we can learn all the apologetics, we can learn memorize Bible verses, but the Holy Spirit is the one. His role is to unveil people's eyes. He's the one that pursues people's hearts, and he's the one that's going to help me know what to ask or say or do with a person to help them be curious about the gospel or want to understand the gospel. And so what I started to do was invite the Holy Spirit into my conversations. Holy Spirit, what am I supposed to do here? What am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to do? And as soon as I started doing that, I saw the craziest conversations. I saw them use me with people I never thought I could confidently share the gospel with. And so it was way different than just being in an evangelism training and memorizing things. It was really inviting God into the conversation and Him leading me, and He and He always has, ever since I started doing that.
0: Yeah. Holly, we just have a couple of minutes left, but you, your first story was so amazing. Uh, you, you must have an, an, another one, maybe not as spectacular as the vampire girl, but... Uh, someone else that you encountered that just was a really unusual uh, experience for you?
2: Yeah, I do. I was um, in Santa Monica, which, you know, has all different types of people in California. And there was a lady at the hotel we were staying at um, who came out screaming one night, "Um, help me, help me, I have a curse put on me. And I thought, oh my gosh, what is this lady talking about? So I went over to listen to her and she had fired um, an employee, and the employee said that uh, she was a witch, and it put a curse on this woman. And I was like, okay, um, I'm not quite sure how to counsel her. And immediately, the Holy Spirit put in my mind, 1 John 4, 4, he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. And I said, if you have Jesus in you, you will, you will not have to worry about curses in your life, because Jesus will protect you. Have you accepted Jesus in your life? And she said, yes, but I wasn't quite sure. So again, I'm like, well, God, how do I continue to talk to her? And he led me to um, Ephesians six on the armor of God. I've never shared the gospel through the armor of God, but as I started reading it to her and talking to her about how to put on the armor of God, she started to share the gospel and she stopped me and she goes, "Um, I need to confess something to you. I said, what? She goes, well, I used to be a porn star and now she's in her fifties. She's definitely not a porn star anymore. She goes, but I was in Hollywood as a porn star, but she goes, now I'm a mad. I'm like, okay, what do you mean by your madam? She goes, I actually oversee thousands of prostitutes online from my hotel room. And, and this is what I do. How could God forgive me? And I just, I mean, when I woke up that morning, I would have never thought, oh, I'm going to get to share the gospel with a madam who oversees all these prostitutes. Right, you know? right, And so she ends up that night really praying and receiving Christ. And so I did the same thing I did with the vampire girl, Chrissy, and I said, well, meet me tomorrow. That this is a real decision. Well, the next day, she said, I stayed up all night to watch um, Christian TV. And, <laughs> and she goes, Holly, but here's the crazy thing. She goes, at two in the morning, something about two in the morning, right? God working. She goes, all of my women started calling me because the entire network was down. It's like God off the internet that night, and none wow. of her women had worked. Thousands of women across. Don't you wish yeah. you would do that
0: for Oh gosh! Holly, you know? what a great story! And I'm. I'm sorry I'm out of time, but uh, I'll have you back because you're a, you're a blast. Have a great weekend. Holly Melton has been my guest. We'll take a very short break and be back.
1: To Bill Arnold's Encore presentation. Welcome back to the
0: show. Sheila Heen is uh, my guest today. She is the founder of Triad Consulting Group and a lecturer on law at Harvard Law School. I guess that's pretty cool. She has spent the last 20 years with the Harvard Negotiation Project, and we're going to talk today about difficult conversations. We all have them, we all need to have them, we're all going to have them. Sheila, welcome back to the show.
4: Well, I am delighted to be here. Thank you.
0: Thank you. you. That uh, pretty much translates into you're doing this for free.
4: Yeah. (laughs) So so far, this isn't such a hard conversation.
0: It's not so far. But I do want to talk about difficult conversations because you're the expert and we all have them and we're all going to have them. And it's smart if we have a framework for understanding how to go about them.
4: Yeah. Um, So... One of the things that has been interesting for us to learn over the years is the extent to which all difficult conversations really have the same underlying structure in terms of what we're all thinking and feeling in the midst of them, which is kind of interesting, right? Because we have them in all different directions in our lives with our family members and at work and with our neighbors and with our accountant or whatever, right? With your dog. Yeah. And so it's interesting that you're actually (laughs) preoccupied with the same things in all those different contexts.
0: Sheila, can I interrupt for a minute? Yeah. Uh, Isn't it based on anyone's basic threshold for what they consider difficult or hard to talk about?
4: It is. So so what we tend to say is that if a conversation feels difficult to you, if you're it's keeping you up at night or you've tried okay. having it and it never seems to work, like or go where you need it to go, that qualifies.
0: Okay. See when I have a difficult conversation, I'm only willing to have it when I know I'm gonna get the outcome I want.
4: Right. And you and if you're like most people, you're probably not going to attempt to have it unless you're pretty sure that you're right.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right? Uh, well, yeah, you go in there with your case pretty well prepared, and you think that this is going to come out good, and it usually doesn't.
4: It usually doesn't. And and by the way, there's also a whole other category, which is I didn't want to have this conversation, but I got ambushed by this conversation. Oh, so yeah. those, those are in this bucket also.
0: You, you leave me out of this so, one.
4: Yeah, exactly. Like a <laughs> conversation just walked in my door that right. I was not even expecting today. So in in terms of what we're preoccupied with, there are sort of three categories of things that we're thinking and feeling in the midst of these messy situations. And if you can understand that um, underlying structure, it just gives you some landmarks to navigate. So the, the first category is what we call the what happened Part of the conversation. So I have a theory about what has happened and what is happening right now and what should happen in the future. And that theory, that story that I have, has three pieces, key pieces to it. The first is um, what am I right about? And that's a very long list, by the way,
3: Mm -hmm. Um,
4: (laughs) always, Uh whether or not I'm ambushed. Uh, The second is whose fault is it that we're in the middle of this mess and that we're having this difficult conversation? Um, and, And that's often you. That's your fault, but meaning the other person's. But sometimes it's actually I'm mad at myself, and that doesn't necessarily make it easier. Right. And then the third key part of the story is why are they acting this way? You know, They just have to have their way, they're controlling, they're selfish, they don't get it, they're naive. I, ha- I have to have some explanation for why the other person is being so unreasonable or doesn't already agree with me. So that that story that we tell, which we call the what happened conversation, those are three key pieces. And by the way, if we're in the midst of a conversation with each other, you're also thinking about what you're right about and whose fault it is mm-hmm. and why I'm being so difficult. Mm-hmm. Now, so that's one bucket of things. There are two more things going on that we often don't think about, which is the second one is feelings. Like, what do I do with all of the strong and often conflicted feelings that I feel? I'm frustrated. I'm confused. I feel taken advantage of. I feel guilty. Um, I'm lonely. I'm sad that this it's come to this. I feel anxious about the future. Like I often have a really confusing bundle of conversation or feelings going on in the conversation Mm -hmm. and I have to figure out what to do with them, particularly in a professional context where I'm not really supposed to be having feelings. Yeah. Right. And then the last is what we call the identity conversation, because if a conversation feels difficult to you, chances are there's something it suggests about you that feels like it's at stake, like Am I not being a team player? Am I not a good parent? Am I not as valued as I thought I was? do i am I competent? Am I a good person? Um, and those can be can feel like they're on the table and at stake, which is part of what drives the anxiety about the conversation. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because in any difficult conversation in your life, if you reflect on what's going on for each person internally, those kinds of things show up. People are preoccupied with those three categories of things, whether we're aware of it or not. So there's the framework, but then the question becomes, so what? Yeah. <laughs> right. Why, why does that help me? And the reason it helps us is that there really isn't a good way for me to have a, a productive conversation if I'm still preoccupied with what I'm right about and why this is your fault,
3: Mm
4: -hmm. um, et cetera. So actually the reason it's helpful is that once I understand that the first conversation I need to have is really a conversation with myself, like can I shift my, what I'm preoccupied with from what I'm right about to getting curious about why we see this so differently? Like it's so obvious that I'm right. Why wouldn't you agree with me? Like what is it, what's going on? And, but if I actually can genuinely get curious, like, so why would you think that that's a good idea? Because it seems so obvious to me that it's not a good idea or it isn't fair mm-hmm. if we do it that way or it's not going to work. Um, and if I can shift from blame to – so the sorry, the first shift is sort of from certainty about what I'm right about to, is to curiosity. The second shift inside that story would be from blame to what we call joint contribution. So what did we each contribute to this? It doesn't. It's not necessarily things that we did wrong, but it might be things that didn't help and that got us to where we're at because that tells us what would we have to change to handle this differently in the future. And mm. then the third is to let go of being sure I know why you're being so idiotic <laughs> yeah. and misguided to just speak to the impact that your behavior is having and leave the question of – your intentions. I don't know what your intentions were, but, you know, one of the impacts of the conversation that we had last week in front of the client is that I think that they are wondering whether, you know, they should go with us Mm -hmm. or whether we have a clear vision for what we're proposing to them. So we talk about the impact rather than talk about intentions. Like that's different than, I don't know why you insist on undermining me in front of the client all the time. That's, that is less likely to produce a good conversation.
0: Yeah, I would imagine so. So it's probably probably important to uh, remember that you you think you might know how someone feels or what they're trying to say, but there's a good chance you don't.
4: Yeah, or or why they're being the way they're being. So we infer people's intentions from the impact that they have on us. Like if I felt undermined last week, Mm -hmm. then I figured, well, you just wanted to be controlling. Yeah. Is it right? because our
0: brains can't help it, Sheila, and they start they start filling in details
4: whether yeah, their I details that are that true or not? Yeah, I think that is a big part of it. I think that is a big part of it. And plus we walk through the world wanting to know why, why people are acting the way that they're acting because it helps us know how to navigate them, mm-hmm. right? So we're really incented to um, have a story pretty quickly about people. Like if you don't say hi to me in the hall— I think to myself, you know, well, were you just preoccupied or do you hate me now? Um, And or were you being stuck up or you were being aloof or something like that? And I think we're we're kind of wired that way. um, And we don't even notice that we jump to conclusions about people's intentions and feelings.
0: Yeah. I mean, what about if at work instead of people saying to you, hi, Sheila, after six months of working there, they go, hey, you, how are you doing? Right. And you go, I don't right. think, I still don't think they know my name.
4: Right. And and you think to yourself, am I not important enough to them? Am I not, they clearly don't value me. Mm-hmm. They hardly even see me. They've been actively ignoring me. And I'm starting to not just tell a story about what does this suggest about me, which actually, we should start to wonder, right, but now <laughs> <Yes>. we're also <laughs> like, why am I invisible to people around here? Is this feedback? Hmm. yeah right, um, but we're also now starting to tell a story about them, right? They think that they're so high and mighty, and you know don't care about other people and don't value the work that I do.,
3: uh, we're so
0: messed up
4: well and and the problem is that we get ourselves like it's a self fulfilling prophecy mm-hmm. right um, and so we try to have a conversation with them to explain why the fact that they don't value our work is a problem for us but they're like what what do you what do you mean I don't value your work mm-hmm. right so we're each speaking from inside our own story about what we're right about and we're just talking past each other
0: yeah boy that is right spot on so we do not take the time or we don't fully understand another person's perspective or their side of the story. What are we doing wrong when it comes to difficult conversations?
4: Yeah, well, you know, it, I think that one of the things that is easy to assume is that my job in the conversation, like what I'm trying to achieve is I'm trying to explain to you why I'm right. Mm-hmm. And so my purpose is to get you to see that I'm right and to agree with me. Right. And um first of all, whether or not that will ever happen, <laughs> which is maybe unlikely. Our our first thing is to really shift to have a different purpose. Like at least in this conversation, let's figure out why we see it so differently.
3: Mm-hmm. I like
4: that. You know, I I feel like um, you know, I was surprised that you didn't invite us to the holidays um and hurt by that. And I'm just wanna,
0: you always bring, bring curious. that. You always bring that cake that nobody wants to eat. So we just stopped inviting huh. you.
4: <laughs> I thought you liked that cake. No,
0: nobody likes that cake. and we don't... I hate
4: that cake. I hate that cake. I was cake. only making it because <laughs> I thought that you were expecting me to bring it.
0: Yeah, see, we're all misunderstanding each other now.
4: We're all misunderstanding each other. And so, I mean, you know, we're joking around. But I think sometimes we actually discover, oh, actually, I was misunderstanding or... I thought I was being helpful, but clearly I hurt your feelings or whatever. And we sort some things out pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. But I want to also be careful that we're not saying everything's a misunderstanding and everybody has good intentions and, you know, there is no right and wrong. There are definitely um, versions and understandings that are more and less reasonable. But a first step is like help me understand why you see it the way that you see it or what Mm -hmm. you're looking at, what you're reacting to and what I'm doing that maybe is contributing to the problem that I'm not even aware I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And if we can have that conversation first, that's our, we actually learn something and we have a better sense of what the problem is that maybe needs to be solved between us.
0: Yeah. Now Sheila, I really appreciate the framework you've given us for difficult conversations. Now I would like to shift the focus to a little bit of the the profile of the person who succeeds well with difficult conversations because you're so calm and and you're you know you're you're so well measured with what you say what if i've just got a very short attention span i'm a little hot headed and you put those two together that's not a good recipe for dealing with difficult conversations very well
4: well, you're right. It's not, and that's part of the challenge of difficult conversations, which goes to that feelings and identity piece. Mm-hmm. Because even the most unflappable among us can get flapped.
0: Oh yeah.
4: <laughs> Have you noticed
0: that? Oh yeah, I've been flapped. With times. the
4: right person. Yes. <laughs> with the right person and uh-huh. the right topic on the table. Yes. The that calm starts to get disrupted, and so part of um, part of getting skillful about difficult conversations is recognizing more quickly, like, Oh, I'm hooked. Like I can feel it. Like I can feel my heart starting to race. I can feel I'm flushing. I'm so, I cannot believe that they just said that
3: Mm -hmm.
4: and, um, choosing my purpose for how I want to respond rather than just reacting, Mm -hmm. thinking, okay, What is important to me here, and what am I trying to achieve with how I want to respond? Which is not, by the way, to say that I'm always in great shape to have the conversation. Right. I think there are times where I'm much better off. We're both better off if I say, okay, you know what? I think I need to take a walk. Um, I want to think about what just happened, and I want to sit down and talk about it tomorrow or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. Because um, part of the skill. to develop is in thinking about when not to have the conversation and just being a little more self-aware of yeah, when okay. you really have the capacity to have it yeah, right
0: yeah Sheila yeah. let, me take, and, a, let yeah. me take a break Sheila Heen is my guest and why not uh we'll take a short break and be back with more in just a minute.
1: You're listening to Bill Arnold's Encore presentation.
0: Welcome back to the show. I've got Sheila Hingan on our studio line. She's the founder of Triad Consulting Group, lecturer on law at Harvard Law School, and has spent the last 20 years with the Harvard Negotiation Project. We're talking about difficult conversations, and uh, she's the expert and my go-to person when it comes to uh, figuring out how best to do this, because I think it's uh, something we all struggle with, and at any time we're we're in, in a difficult conversation, what's immediately at danger is our self-image and our emotions. And we, we take everything so personally. We, we respond to just about, we interpret everything that we get about us, don't we, Sheila?
4: Oh, we do really quickly, really quickly. And we worry like, am I being an interesting enough guest? Am I giving understandable answers? Am I making any sense? Yes, yes. Like yes. that whole conversation is happening in my head I as we it. talk. Yeah, you, I get it. Yeah.
0: And you're, you know, a Harvard person, and I'm just a radio guy, so I'm going, am I asking interesting enough questions to keep you interested?
4: Right. And so this is the challenge between us, which is that we're really, we're having a conversation with each other, but we're having a conversation with your audience about something that we all are challenged by, and we're all trying to understand and navigate Mm -hmm. in our lives, right? And for me, part of what helps me in the midst of it um, is just... Uh, trying to remember that from an identity point of view, I am still a child of God. And the extent that I'm wondering, am I a good person or am I worthy? The answer is, well, yes and no. I'm I'm at least loved, Mm -hmm. right? Whether or not I was worthy of that. And by the way, remembering that so is the other person that I'm having a hard time with. For all of their brokenness or all of their challenging personality or ways in which they don't get it, um, they're still also loved. Mm -hmm. And so that may or may not mean I need to be in relationship with them, um, and we may or may not be able to work through this. But it's just a basic groundedness in that that helps for me.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh. I'm thinking of a Sheryl Crow song that says the first cut is the deepest. So mm. sometimes when I start a conversation and it's on the difficult side, I always say you don't really write anything; you just rewrite stuff because you know you might write yeah. something and then you have to rewrite it, right? And yeah. sometimes I, I, I say stuff, but I always have to re-say it or or continue it. Uh, part two of a conversation you start, but however you begin is could be where the thing either is is destined for success or failure, because that first cut, the first thing you say in a difficult conversation, is that important or am I just making this up in my head?
4: Oh, that is so important. In fact, there are two things you're saying that are really important. One is that most difficult conversations are not one-shot deals, right? They're conversations we're going to have over time. Yes. Um, But the second is that how we start each episode of those conversations over time really matters. So there's a ton of research about this, that the first three minutes or so can has a high predictability for how the conversation will end. And so part of the, the trick of how to start a conversation is not to start it only inside your own story.
0: Say Meaning. more about that, Sheila, because I find that fascinating. But I don't know what you mean.
4: So if I were to, so if we're colleagues and I am really annoyed by what you did last week, I don't know why. One way for me to start the conversation: I was right. What do you mean you don't know why? Well, okay, I Bill, was right. so we need to sit down and talk about <laughs> why, once again.
0: Uh, here we go. You
4: insisted on taking credit for the project, and in addition to that, dominated the conversation. Okay. And, you know, we've talked about this before, and I don't know why you don't get it. So let's just pause. How's this going for you? <laughs>
0: not good at all. <laughs> this is not working at all. Matter of fact, I might cut this interview off right here. I'm so offended.
4: Right, exactly. You're about to hang up on me. <laughs> so so the mistake I'm making is that I am starting this conversation totally inside my own story. Okay. You know, I'm right that you're the one who acted badly I know what kind of person you are, et cetera. You're to blame for this whole situation. Mm -hmm. And so in my story, I'm the victim as well as the hero, by the way, and you are the villain. (laughs) And that's just not a conversation you really want to be in. That's going to go nowhere. No, no thank you. No, thank you. So if I want to start the conversation differently, one way I could do it is, of course, to be in your story, but – that's not a place any of us want to be. So, uh, <laughs> so instead I can start it from what we call the third story uh-huh. to say, so Bill, I, I want to sit down. I'd love to talk about this because last week something happened that has happened a whole bunch of times before, and I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. So when we were in the meeting last week with the client and with our boss, um, a couple things happened that have happened before. So one was that I felt like the airtime between us was not even, and also we had agreed ahead of time what we would each cover. And then you jumped in to cover a couple of things that I thought I was prepared mm-hmm. to step in and cover. And the second was, I think they were left with the impression whether it was intentional or not, I don't know. I'm guessing it probably wasn't, but I think that because of the way you closed, you left with the impression that sort of you were the driving force. Which was surprising to me and a little upsetting to me. And I'm wondering what's going on between us that we keep landing in that place that isn't really working for me. But I'm curious, what was – looking back on that meeting, talk to me about what was going on from your point of view.
0: Okay. I'm not in the least bit mad right now or threatened by what you just said.
4: Well, that's because you're a better person than the bill that I was talking to. But yes,
0: yes. (laughs) (laughs) no, but I mean, you, you, that you handled that so well. So I'm thinking I might be, I might be saying something like, well, I got kind of on a roll in that meeting and they were buying sort of what I was saying. And I wanted to keep the momentum going and sorry, if I stepped on your toes, I didn't mean to, Um, you know, maybe next time I'll just try to be more aware of our, our contributions in the meeting.
4: Yeah, so it sounds like also you were worried that we would lose momentum if you handed it off. I was afraid of that. So now we're starting to sort of talk about what happened that – I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt Uh that it wasn't intentional, but I'm also not saying it's not a problem. Uh And so what I'm doing with that opening is basically saying I want to talk about what went wrong. I want to understand your perspective And I want to share what the problem is from my point of view. So now both of our stories have a legitimate place in that conversation. Okay. And nobody's the villain necessarily. Instead, we're partners to try to figure it out together. And that's an invitation that you're much more likely to take.
0: Okay. Now, Sheila, how often do people adapt this style? Every time I hear of stories, there's always a villain. There's always someone that was like, oh, this guy really messed up.
4: Yeah, well, so you're right. I do think that our stories naturally have heroes, villains, and victims. Mm -hmm. And so that's the easiest template in our heads to tell the story. And this actually shifts – requires us to shift to say in some ways we're both victims and in some ways we have the potential to both be heroes here if I can invite you as my partner to try to figure out what's going on. And at the end of the day, I may make my own decisions about whether to stay in this story with you. Um, But we're really offering the other person a different role. Mm
3: -hmm.
4: And if you listen to some of the best negotiators out there, if you pick someone in your life who you really admire and pay attention, this is one of the things that you'll notice that they're doing. And they're often doing it instinctively. Um, which is that they're offering the other person a role that the other person likes and that is not dishonest. It's not like, let's pretend that you're something other than you are.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: Sheila, it's really easy to accuse someone, isn't it?
4: And it's so satisfying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, But it's satisfying until they respond.
3: (laughs) Right, right.
4: (laughs) Right? Because they're going to fight back and say, no, 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 I'm not the problem here. You're the one who's the problem. You're oversensitive and, you know, you don't really get the client anyway. So I couldn't let you take take the ship down, right? So if I keep you as the villain, you're going to fight back with your story. And in your story, I'm the one who's the problem or the villain or clueless. Mm -hmm. And that's why actually things escalate between us, because it's a fight of my story versus your story and whose story is right.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to invite you back to the Christmas gathering. Just don't bring the cake.
3: Um, and so we've
0: we've done good with each other today. And then also, just to let our listeners know, go to com. Is that still the best place to go buy books that you've written?
4: I think it is. It is. And um, you can find them at any bookseller, Amazon. Yeah, Amazon. Your local bookstore. Yes. Et cetera. And yeah. your,
0: your, spell your last name, H-E-E-N, Sheila Heen, Uh just to let people know, even though I know. So just so you know that I know.
4: Yeah, thank you, know. you for that.
0: Yeah, of course. Thank you for uh, doing the show. Always nice to talk to you.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's great to talk to you. Thanks. uh, Was this a difficult conversation? It was a really fun conversation. No, was it it always? was
0: Was it difficult?
4: It wasn't difficult. Oh, good. You asked great questions.
0: Oh, thanks. We'll take a short break and be right back.